money should be your slave and your slave should bear children and work for you. And I think a lot of times, obviously, people are, are slaves to money. And I'm like, okay, so like, what's my money doing right now? Like, you know, what's the purpose, what its job, what its work. So I think about that a lot. And like, when I read that, I felt like I had definitely a shift in how I controlled finances and how I make decisions. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss. As always, it's great to be here with another awesome guest, Leanne Vong. I'm excited to have you here on the show. We first connected on Bigger Pockets, which is an awesome place and excited to, to kind of learn from you and see what you've been doing. So first and foremost, how are you doing today? I'm great. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays. Yes. Thank you. And if for you guys listening to this, we always pre-record the episodes. This is not live. So this will come out sometime in January probably, but it's been a, a great time of year, end of the year. Obviously, we're all trying to get a lot done <laughs> before the new year. But I mean, is that how you feel? You're so before we even get into that, because I'd love to just give our listeners a little bit of context. Who are we actually talking with today? Because we have so many awesome guests, yourself included. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you are a real estate broker and have a broker team that works under you, as well as a real estate investor focused on a lot of residential properties in the local Boston, Boston market where we live. I I had only had before the show. I actually was born in Boston and my father decided his his idea was he wanted to move out as soon as he heard one of my brothers like say, I want to go see Star Wars. You know, <laughs> Star Wars. Okay, we have to leave. <laughs> you know, it's time to talk like that. That's funny. Yeah, it's definitely in the water. So in terms of my day job, I run a successful investment oriented real estate team in the Boston area. And then my night job, if you will, is I invest in real estate, but obviously we're always doing that concurrently. So I service clients and, you know, I help them find the right opportunities, but at the same time, looking to grow and expand and trade up my portfolio also. Awesome. So what do you, I mean, it's funny, you kind of say that it's like your day job is in real estate and your night job is in real estate, but they're really two different hats kind of you're wearing. But the fact that you yourself are an investor and servicing other investors, it's funny. I've actually seen most real estate brokers who are residential or even commercial brokers do not actually own or invest in real estate themselves. Is that something you found as well? I do. And I feel like it's such a missed opportunity. I think like how I landed in real estate brokerage is a little bit less traditional in the sense that I actually started as an investor and then became an agent. I find that if you're going to do that path, it's typically you're an agent and then you become an investor and you kind of quit your job. Right. I accumulated a decent portfolio prior to me becoming an agent and changing careers. But I found like honestly through brokerage and representing clients, I've become an amazing investor. I've learned so much from my clients and they kind of give you puzzles you didn't really consider before and you try to solve it. And then at the same time, you're kind of solving your own problems. So both jobs, both hats really, I think, benefit one another. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your you know, portfolio right now, currently. I know you do a lot of kind of heavy lift rehab and small multifamily properties, right? 
Yeah. So I, I have 10, 11 properties right now. So I do a mix. I do long-term and short-term rentals. Okay. So, and it's all mostly greater Boston area, you know, the short-term rentals, I have one in Maine, New Hampshire, things like that. But for the most part, the portfolio is here and I'm actually in expansion mode. So, you know, thinking about the end of the year, uh, I'm thinking about how I can trade up, like, you know, what properties that you feel like you've kind of maximized on and it's just time to, to let them go or try to basically redistribute that capital in a more meaningful way. So what kind of things do you think? I think about, you know, market distribution, like moving to different markets, because there's not really a lot of in Boston, the greater Boston area, there aren't a lot of like larger multifamily properties, correct? Yeah, well, in Western Mass, there are, I mean, oh, certainly okay. there are, they're just very big numbers, you know, sure, right, 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 I'm, right. I'm still quite small in, you know, in the real estate game, if you will. So yes, in order for me to execute on this commercial route, which for me, like I want to build, I want to own like beautiful brick buildings, like large, like residential apartment buildings. That's what I find, you know, sexy. And like, you know, if you want to talk to me for two hours, then then start talking about that. But that's what I want to own. And yes, so I will have to explore other markets, I think, just out of necessity, right? Because it needs to fit the criteria what I'm looking for. Certainly budget wise, I have some limitations in the Boston market. So thinking about that, changing markets, but some of the properties that I've purchased in you know last few years have gained quite a bit in, in sure. equity, and I, I I found that it's going to take me a really long time to get that in cash flow. There's you know with the new rate environment, there's only so much you could do in terms of like refis, just because you're doubling your rate. So then like you know your yield is not going to be the same. So kind of the only option is to sell and upgrade. Right. Yeah. For sure. And you've used the 1031 exchanges, correct? Yes. Yeah. 1031 exchanges have been like such an amazing tool. I would say that as well as cash out refis Mm -hmm. have been the best two tools I've ever used. And it's like allowed me honestly and cost segregation. Actually, those three, not just because it's certainly a plug and a service that I use from your company, but those three things, I mean, you're getting cash out with no no tax penalties, right? Because right. it's not a taxable event. You're deferring tax and then your bonus depreciating. I mean, come on, you know? It's like people need to shout this from the rooftops. It's like, it's crazy how few people actually know about these amazing tools that are like tax-free or tax-deferred strategies in real estate. It's amazing. But I want to go back to something, you know, you're talking about the beautiful big brick buildings, you know, not just because you said it's something you can talk about all day, but you know, I'm actually really curious, like what are some of the challenges? Because a lot of these, you know, big, beautiful brick buildings that are in Massachusetts are, you know, have been built like over a hundred years ago. Right. Right. And that's kind of what makes that style so unique and so special. But at the same time, I'm sure it comes with its, you know, its load of challenges as well. Like what are some of like the biggest challenges you face when you're looking at these types of properties? I think certainly with valuation, you know, like that, I think it's just market wide, right? Like, you know, sellers thinking that they're worth a little bit too much. Some of the other challenges, they want a million dollars, but they are very nice to their tenants and they're obviously not paying anything for rent. So, okay, I got to pay inflated price, but then I have to take your crappy tenants and then turn it over in the next 12 months. So that's the financial 
obstacle. But in terms of the maintenance of those buildings, certainly like repointing brick and like maintaining all that tends to be challenging. And then most of the systems are older. What I do find to be very appealing about these buildings is the predictability of the construction. You know, if you buy these kind of like they call garden style, you know, apartment buildings, you know, you're going to get different sizes, but like more or less like eight, 16, 24s. Right. So you kind of understand where the stacks are. They're typically one or two beds, heat, hot water included, separate electric. So it's fairly predictable in terms of how I'm going to turn that over. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn every all the heating into electric. They're small units, so they shouldn't be too too much of a heat burden onto the tenant, which hopefully will help them to stay you know, small kitchens, like, so I know what to do when I go in, I know the ceilings are low, I need to do recess lighting, everything like that, I can close my eyes and kind of walk through these. That's so cool. That's awesome. That's good. And it just really goes to show you when you get into a niche and find your niche and become really good at it. It's really, you know, it's really just turning over one to the other. And I'm, I'm sure as a broker as well, you see tons of deals. I mean, are you finding the properties that you buy yourself or the ones that that you're sourcing? solely or your team? Yeah. So most of my portfolio, I would say has been on market. You know, I think that some people say that, you know, on market seems so like on MLS is so dirty and like, it's not cool, you know, to buy Mm -hmm. on market, but a lot of my stuff is on market because I just don't want to dismiss the fact that that's the largest marketplace for houses right? I'm a consumer. And like, what am I going to like, never go to Walmart? Like, like, where do I buy anything? (laughs) You know, certainly, I've been lucky that I've had some opportunities of off markets, I do source them, sometimes they come from brokers, I've paid wholesalers, my latest purchase is actually a really cool story, where I was just sourcing the market, like, you know, going through the inventory of everything that's been on the market, just calling people mean like, hey, you used to want to sell, you want to sell. So I found this property and it kind of checks all my boxes. But very shortly after, like, you know, and it takes a while to talk to them. But shortly after I I was able to connect with the seller, my client needed a 1031. And this, like, I told them about the deal. And I was like, I'm working on this deal. Like, you know, whenever we're going to massage through it. And they liked the deal. And so I actually, I gave them the deal. Wow. So I was like, hey, this meets all your criteria. Like, because for, for me, like I'm broker first. I know that that, you know, people don't always believe that, but I do believe in being ethical about that. Like, you know, even though it was, it was sourced for me, I do try to service my clients and that is my priority and that's my fiduciary duty. That's awesome. So I... I offered it to them and, you know, through some due diligence, they didn't like the building for whatever of those reasons. It bounced back to me. I called them. I said, Hey, you don't like it. Totally fine. You know, is it okay if I take it over and I close on it? And they said it was okay, but it's kind of like an interesting story. And I think a testament to that, like brokers can be investors because Mm -hmm. I think like people always mistrust that, that line of like, where's the loyalty, where's the fiduciary duty. I believe that I did all the right things, but that's an example of how we can perform in a really high capacity ethically. That's awesome. That's a great story and a really great illustration of those principles that you stand by. And I think that's probably why one of the reasons why you are actually, you know, so successful, you know, in both the brokerage side and the investment side, I think realizing what your boundaries are and who your fiduciary duties are too. There are a lot of kind of blended lines sometimes. And it's hard to tell. But when you make those distinctions, I think the clients will keep coming back and will keep singing your praises because of that. And we'll only do good. I mean, integrity is something that I always like to say, it's something that takes, you know, years and years and years to build, but takes seconds 
to lose. So you did a great job there. Awesome. And so you've, you know, from the brokerage side that you've actually, you know, are doing, you've built a team under you. Tell me about like what that's like, because at the same time, you're doing your own stuff, but you also have like a team that you're responsible for. And how does that actually function on a day to day? In terms of the team model, my background has been in service industry, like owning salons and like, like really like providing like a different level and a more a fuller level of like service to clients. So like, wait, that was my background. Wait, stop there a second. What do you mean? That was your best? <laughs> Let's just stop yeah, there I for a second. A chain, <laughs> a chain of nail salons. And that's oh, how wow. we got, like started investing was, you know, entrepreneurs, like just trying to figure out like what type of like asset class we wanted to invest in, my family and I. And I think like being immigrants, like we don't understand the stock market. We just don't understand abstractly how to evaluate these companies and like, you know, like EFTs and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're like, but we know real estate, right? Like that's something tangible old. And we chose that specific investment style. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so that's, that, you know, so that's how I got started. And so I was able to parlay some of those like skills into like, you know, being a broker. And when I found that some of the things that people, you know, if you kind of surveyed all clients who are like unhappy with their broker in some way or another, a lot of it's communication, it's availability, all that mm. stuff. So the need and the necessity for a team came very naturally to me that like mm-hmm. I wanted to service clients in a better way, right. an exceptional way. And so, you know, I kind of like everybody has their role. Like I have a let head of leasing. I have like a new development person who like, but basically does all of our new developer, like new construction, like business. Mm-hmm. And I manage that, obviously coach them, help them to achieve their goals. and. A lot of the days just troubleshooting. Right. That's you know? so true. Wow. And I'm sure you see a lot of, I mean, you mentioned you're one of the top you know, teams in the country. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. To, Thank to you. see that. I mean, when you get the feedback that's coming directly from the, not only the clients, but from your team, they're producing, obviously something's working. Yeah, it feels so complimentary that, you know, I was just going through like my client list, like doing holiday cards and stuff like that. And, you know, of like, okay, so these were single transactions and then these were repeat transactions and, you know, you kind of categorize it in that way. And about 35% of my clients are repeats. And that's that's an amazing thing. And I I don't think that people can say that about the real estate business. Nail business is a two to three week (laughs) turnaround. I can probably count that they're going to come back. But to see that clients who transact. Yeah. So to see that clients will like, you know, return to you and like, I mean, that's one in three clients will come back and transact again. I mean, what a compliment and like, you know, statistically it costs 50% more to create new business than to retain an old one, you know, if you're just talking about business. So that's a huge testimony for my team and I think our work, our level of work. That's so cool. Awesome. And I want to just talk about earlier in the podcast, you mentioned you have a short-term rental in New Hampshire and one in Maine. Are those like vacation kind of destination type places? Are they more like travel oriented short-term rentals or are they, I know there are a few different types of short-term rentals out there. How do you manage those? What's the focus of those if you don't mind? Yeah. So in terms of the short-term rental business, I've created kind of like another company with that stare at our house a brand because like the houses and then they'll have like a name with the house, like Holly House is in Holly, Massachusetts. Okay. 
So those are focused on vacation and family rentals. So typically, you know, it's like a place that's near some sort of destination, some sort of landmark, like a ski area, like, you Mm -hmm. know, hiking, something like that. And they stay for a long weekend. We manage those in-house and that's been good. So we're launching our fifth one. So that's like a two-year company. So it's a newer company, but mostly focused on like vacation rentals and family. That's great. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. We've had a lot of guests on the show talk about short-term rentals and vacation rentals because it it's such an incredible niche that people are making the cash flow that can come out of those if done correctly. It's just incredible. Like almost not even believable sometimes when you compare it with long-term rentals if done correctly. Yeah. I mean, for me though, like, I guess I'm a traditionalist in this way that like, I'm still like a tried and true, like I'm still going after the brick apartment buildings. Like that's money I can count on. <laughs> yes. Like, like short-term rental, like it's, it's all great. And you have kind of a vacancy. Like, I mean, one of my buildings, we just had kind of like the storm. One of the, the buildings is flooded right now. So it's, you know, it's not available to the public. So I'm going to have to deal with that. Versus if this was an apartment building, you know, maybe that's happening to two units. The other units are carrying the building just fine. So I'm still a big believer in long term, even though I do participate in short term. Sure. Right and true. No, it's good. It's great to diversify and to just see what other businesses. I mean, you have the experience, you have the team, you can sample and you can kind of try out different parts of the business. But I think that's great and just helping you to expand and grow. So good for you. Thank you. Well, I'd love to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests in the end. So first question to you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? The worst job I ever had, I've had a lot of like random like service jobs as a kid. I guess one of the least exciting experiences I had was I was like a hostess at this restaurant. This is like the story of an immigrant. I've never set a table before. And so that was like a really interesting experience. I I don't know if it's terrible, but they literally had to teach me how to put like knives and forks and things together. Wow. Okay. Listen, uh, everyone has to learn at some point, you know, things. How just out of curiosity, how old when you came over? I was nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was a lot to, that's also incredible to coming over. And was your English any or at all before you came? Nothing. Uh, Yeah. Like, you know, you kind of learn on the streets. I think my mom is, you know, she's just so bright and she was like able to recognize some of the opportunities in less like heavier Asian communities. Like, so she was really like focused on like putting me in a suburb. So I would never have an accent. Like she was like very specific Mm. on like targeting that stuff. And like, you know, because I was exposed to just a different demographic, I think that's why like I have a more neutral accent versus some of my peers. That's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Well, Good for you. It's good to hear. It's always nice to hear kind of pepper in here a little bit from the story here and there. So hopefully everyone's listening to the full episode, get the full picture here. But second question is what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? For me, like this is a really short and easy book in Richest Man in Babylon. I think it's like 150 pages. It's like a really short read and it's very simple. And it's like, you know, kind of like the language of like, you know, the older days, but pretty much the principles are true. And some like a sentence in there that they say, and I say to myself all the time, especially in like 23 year planning is that like money should be your slave and your slave should bear children and work for you. And I think a lot of times, obviously, people are are slaves to money, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, okay, so like, what's my money doing right now? Like, you know, what's the purpose? What its job? What its work? Right. So I think about that a lot. And like, when I read that, I felt like I had definitely a shift in how I controlled finances, and how I make decisions. Very cool. 
No, that's awesome. We've had that book on the show mentioned a few times before, but just an incredible read. So guys, if you haven't heard that or you haven't listened, listened, read, heard, whatever you do, however you read or listen to books, (laughs) we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you guys check out The Richest Man in Babylon. Third question, what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? So I just thought about this over the holiday and I would really like to learn how to fly a plane, like to be a pilot. Cool. I don't know really the steps on how to do it. Like, you know, I'm not going to work commercially, but I just think that like, that's something that I would really enjoy. I think pilots are very systematic and I'm a pretty systematic person. And like having the ability to kind of have like a different perspective on literally the earth would be something I really would enjoy. That is pretty cool. Yeah. And especially if you expand out into other markets, it's a great way to, to get around to visit your properties. But <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to ask my CPA on how I can expense this. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm look into that. For sure. No, it's funny. I had someone I know who was a pilot for many years, lived in the Midwest and owned a lot of real estate. He was in Chicago and he literally, he bought a plane because he owned a bunch of properties in Indianapolis and Cleveland. He's like, takes about three hours to drive to Indianapolis and he'd go like once a week. And so right. it was like, oh, it's easier to get a plane. I'll learn how to fly, get a private plane, whatever. And it'll be quicker to get there. And in the end, he said, well, by the time you get there and you have to drive to the airport and then you have to do the check, you know, all around the plane every time, by the time you actually get in there, it actually takes more than three hours to get there. It wasn't saving any time in doing that, but it was still cool to go. So now he has a life skill. Right. Exactly. Fourth and final question. What does success mean to you? I think the one word that I'm always like working towards and like striving for is freedom. So like success and like everything, like I kind of measure with like freedom. So, you know, people ask me, you know, what's the success mean to me? And like, why am I like, you know, why do I wake up in the day, right? In the morning mm-hmm. is to be able to achieve freedom. And I think like having like the ability to choose and kind of do whatever I want, you know, I think that doesn't mean that like, you know, you don't work, obviously, because people like us entrepreneurs, like we're always trying to find a different kind of business. Like I, I would go to every store and I'm like looking at like how they place things on shelves. And I'm like, that's pretty inefficient. You know, I bet like they have a lot of inventory sitting, you know, you just like do all these crazy analyses that have nothing to do with anything. Um, but I would say it's to achieve freedom and like my ability to say no and yes, like at my leisure. All right. That's awesome. And I love that that analysis, you know, kind of mindset because it's so true. Entrepreneurs really do think about things in different ways. How can this be right. more efficient? How can we do this better? But that's awesome. Well, Leanne, it's been really, really a pleasure catching up with you and hearing a lot more about your story that I actually didn't know until this point. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? So like on the platform where we initially met, Bigger Pockets, I'm pretty active on there. So Leanne Vong, L-I-E-N-V-U-O-N-G. So you can look me up on there. But on Instagram and LinkedIn is probably awesome. And like I'm very active on there too. So it's L-I-E-N-V-U-O-N-G underscore. So Leanne Vong, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay. And we will make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So our listeners hopefully will reach out and follow you and get more of your story because it's just, it's just incredible. I love it. So keep well, enjoy the rest of your holidays and a happy new year to you and to our listeners. Thank you again for listening all the way to the end. And remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? 
If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.